Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Founder Hour Podcast. I'm your co-host, Pat, and today on the show, we sit down with Emily Schumann. Emily is a blogger, author, designer, and founder of Cupcakes and Cashmere, the premier destination for fashion, food, and lifestyle inspiration. What started out as a blog in 2008 as a way for Emily to document the things she loved has since grown into a brand that also carries hand-selected jewelry, accessories, gifts, and more. We spoke with Emily all about her upbringing and early career in advertising, why and how she launched her first blog, what ultimately led to a taking off, her thoughts on networking versus building genuine relationships, and much more. Here we go. I have always been in California. I stayed in California for college and grew up in Mill Valley, which is just outside of San Francisco. And just, I guess, never wanted to leave. I am an only child, always was very focused on everything from academics and music and athletics and went to college um, just to kind of explore whatever it was that, that interested me. I I majored in sociology and media studies, um, both of which I had no idea how I would actually then apply those to any sort of like real life job. But that's kind of where I, you know, that's where I began. Hmm. And and like, I know you mentioned you had all these like different interests as a kid. Did Was there anything in particular you, you, you could like see yourself being or doing when you were like older? When I was a teenager, I remember clipping out ads like in the magazines that I would read. Um, and I knew that I wanted to do something creative and something involving advertising. It was around the time of like those Volkswagen Beetle ads mm-hmm, yeah. and those absolute ads where like the bottles yep. would be kind of, you know, I, I guess camouflaged in, in different settings. Yep. And I just remember thinking I, I could do something like this. And so that's kind of where the media studies angle came. Um, and I was also always just very interested in magazines as well. I was like, I don't know if this could actually pertain to a real life job. But I, um, when I graduated from, from college, that was the first thing that I did um, and worked at Condé Nast. And did, did you know like anything about advertising as a kid, like even before high school? Like, did you have any parents or friends that were in the industry? Yeah. My dad did work in advertising. So we would talk about it pretty extensively. And even his friends, people that were around us, um, I could I could kind of go and, and pick their brains about the things that, that they did, what they found was interesting, kind of where the landscape was kind of shifting and how things were moving. So, so yeah, and I, I feel like I definitely had a leg up in that, that I was able to talk to my dad about it as well. Yeah, because it's always interesting, like, to know, like, what things you're exposed to as a kid, whether it's, like, through family or, or just mostly family at the time. Cause like, you know, this was kind of before the age of like really social media. Burgeoning oh yeah. And, like, well being, before. Yeah. Having, yeah, having, what year was it? When I graduated from high school, yeah. like I graduated from high school in 2001. Okay. So, yeah. oh yeah. I mean, this was well before like, anything. Did I mean, really have access to, to all these. I mean, crazy yeah, there was things. no iPhone. That's for sure. Yeah. There, oh, I mean, please. I, like there was barely dial up internet <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. in those yep. days. So got to so, put the CD-ROM into the computer. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I was on AIM most nights. So, yep. so yeah, this is really back in the day. Um, and so just advertising in general even looked different and it was very simplistic and mm-hmm. straightforward. And so obviously it has shifted dramatically since then. I, I just watched Mad Men like six months ago for the first time and it's 
probably like one of my top three favorites. So shows good. Of that's all a time. good pandemic watch too. It yeah. is. Yeah. And that's basically what it was like in 2001. <laughs> I mean, 100%. <laughs> 1965 and 2001. Not that different. Like it they changed didn't have, very fast. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They didn't have computers on their on their yeah. desks, but everything yeah. else. I'm like, what did you do? What was in your briefcase? Yeah. Like, what did you even bring? Now it's like, oh, let me upload this ad to like Facebook and see how it, it's so different, uh, it's right? So it's different. Crazy. And it's so it's crazy how easily you can also then track it. Because yeah. even yeah. when I worked in magazines, I worked at both Teen Vogue and Domino magazines, both of which were Condé Nast books. We didn't really know how yeah. things were actually performing if people, you know, in terms of the brand recognition or if they led to any sales or right. whatever it was. It was just kind of like a shot in the dark. It's so fascinating that at that at the time it just felt like, oh, of course, you know, you get a page, you get a spread, whatever it is in a magazine. But other than magazine sales, you don't really have any clear understanding of like that correlation right. of how it then performed. So what eventually brought you out to Los Angeles or Southern California? Yeah. So um, Scripps College, where I went to school, um, which is part of a five college consortium, um, which is in Southern California, um, I graduated. And the next day I had my final interview at Condé Nast. So I had actually been going back and forth between the college campus and Condé Nast, um, the the one in L.A., right. um, for several months leading up to my, my graduating I didn't have one backup plan. Like I was so, I was like, I am going to be at Condé Nast. I just, I absolutely loved, um, you know, all of those magazines right. and whatnot. And so that was, um, that was kind of the impetus for me staying. Had I not gotten the job, which luckily I did, I have no idea where, where I would yeah. have been today. I would have just gone home with my parents yeah. and lived in their basement forever. So, yeah. What was it about a liberal arts education though that was interesting to you because I know we were talking about it a little earlier before the podcast that like Pat and I didn't frankly like know what those five colleges were like I didn't even know what a liberal arts college was frankly I just thought it was like where Democrats went to like you know <laughs> yes. learn how do they do right. their business I feel like a lot of people that regret college these days like didn't go to yeah. like a you know and, and look I see both sides because yeah. you both went to USC yeah. and you have I assume I mean you're decked out in USC yeah, here yeah, yeah. and like even I didn't want you to call me out but pride. that's okay yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the yeah, best pride. way yeah, possible yeah, yeah. I appreciate yeah, yeah, that yeah. you yeah. um you have that pride but no I mean I think even for me like not feeling that deep connection, even to like a sports team. Again, right. I grew up, I played three varsity sports in high school. And so the idea that like, we didn't really have like a sports yeah, right. team. I don't have a sports team to follow or anything right. like that. So right. there there are some pros and, you know, pros right. too. Yeah. But, it's, um, it's an expensive uh, uh, pride. It's an expensive thing to be proud of. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying guys. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but I, um, I knew that a lot of what they focused on, um, what, you know, the thing, the things like the sociology and the social sciences and, um, just an intimate setting was right. really interesting and right. compelling to me. I went to public school throughout up through high school. Um, so it was the first time I was going to be in a private setting that was a lot smaller sure. and, and that intimacy really appealed to me. And that was one of the things that I loved most. I mean, it was beyond being like a, just a gorgeous campus, just that connection with my professors. Like I would go to their houses on the weekends to babysit their children. Right. And like you run into people in the dining hall and have these small, um, you know, lectures and all, all of that. So that mm. was what really appealed to me. Were you social? Like, were you outgoing? Were you like this big bubbly personality type person? No, no. <laughs> and I think in a lot of ways, um, 
that has remained the same in that I um, I think I come across as very outgoing if people sure. meet me, but in large crowds and that kind of thing, I'm certainly not, and I'm pretty introverted right. and shy. There was like a New Yorker article that several friends sent to me a few years ago that was basically like, the title of it was like, I'm not an asshole. I'm an introvert. <laughs> I was like, I've never felt so seen. <laughs> so, so yeah. Well, I think you're like an, or you would be considered like an introverted or yes. an introverted extrovert, or would it be an extroverted introvert? I think I'm an extroverted introvert. introvert right, yeah, yeah cuz that's the adjective describing the core is introvert. introvert. Yes, exactly. Okay, there we go. My English had to, had to we get a quick refresher. I didn't go, <laughs> I didn't go to scripts, so you know like it was just USC. They didn't really focus on English that, that much. Um so I assume you got the job at Condé Nast or got the job. Yeah, we celebrated with Genghis Cohen, which if anyone is in yeah. LA, they know like it's one of the best like Chinese restaurants. Yeah. So like to me still I'll go get that dish when I'm like trying to like recreate some of that yeah. magic. But yeah, I got back in the car. My parents were literally just like hovering around, yeah. you know, around the corner from the building. And <laughs> I was like, all right, I guess I'm moving to LA. And two weeks later, I moved to LA. I literally didn't know a person, wow. which is like one of the most like like mind-boggling things now looking back some, I don't know how many yep. years. Um, but it just um I I I knew no one here and I just dove head first. Mm. And so the job was based in LA? Yes. Oh, okay. And so uh, I guess how did how did those first few, I guess, years or I don't know how long you were there for, but while like starting a new job, but also being acclimated to this like whole different city that you didn't really know anyone. In. Yeah, you know, and it's one of the things that people ask I think most frequently because I now see myself as, you know, not necessarily a native. I'm always like, no, 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 I still have my 415 area code. Like I yeah. still very much, um, I feel most at home in yeah. Northern California and still um, associate that with, with home. But um, people do ask me how I kind of got to that place where I felt um, like, you know, comfortable here right. and found my friends and all of that. So um, it took me a while. And I think uh, my parents and friends were probably a little concerned at first because, like, it it just it wasn't a seamless transition for me in that, like, on the weekends, I'd go to the flea market. Yeah. I would go to the gym. I would go to a bar and just, like, watch the A's game. Like, you know, so I didn't really have, like, yeah. people here. Right. Um, and it just took time. I remember the first time a girl in the office, because there were other assistants around the same age, um, she asked me to go do something. And I, I was like, yes, yes, well, let's do it. And then I met her friends, and, and it kind of spiraled from there. But right. anytime people are asking me if I have any tips for – um, meeting new people. It's just to say yes. Be a yes person. Be that person who's right. always game to try new things, to meet new people, have those experiences because now I just have, you know, so many incredible people in my life and that kind of thing. But it can take a while and I try to like set the stage for that when people are like, I just moved here and I don't know anyone. I'm like, it took me like roughly two years to like really feel like right. I found my place. I'm glad you're sharing that because I think it's super timely too because like now is a time, especially with like remote work where people are kind of like able to live anywhere and yeah. with cities like LA being so expensive to live in people are kind of maybe afraid to like move somewhere because of that because they don't know anyone right but then right. something to just note is like it is going to take some time but it'll happen as be long patient. as you're putting yourself out there yeah. exactly be patient be kind with yourself and be be a yes person I mean I someone had asked me if I wanted to be part of an intramural soccer league and I was like great love soccer let's go do it and I met a bunch of friends that way and then yeah. once you meet those friends you meet their you know so right. it, like it all kind of like can snowball you just have to be open to it and right. and getting out there you know, it's also a good reminder for people even in their later stage of their careers where they have less time, they have more responsibilities with, you know, spouses and kids and other projects like, you know, renovating a home, for example. 
and you run out of time. And so you kind of have to say no to things that you would have rather <laughs> right? said yes to. But I remember recently somebody asked me, they're like, oh, you know, Posh, how do you network? Like, I need you to teach me networking. And I'm like, you can't, I'm like, I can't teach you networking, number one. But number two, it's like. <laughs> Rule number one, don't call it yeah, networking. Yeah, don't, don't <laughs> yeah. call it, yeah, no one don't call it that. Also, yeah. do not have yeah. in your email, I would love yeah. to pick your brain. Yeah. Like, people That's are going like, to be like, I'm too busy now. Whoever came up with that should go pick uh, their nose. Like, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, like, no. I just, I don't know what that needs that to be was. retired. Yeah, it's like. You know, ask a legitimate question. Don't yeah. like pick your brain. Just ask the question. Like, Correct. if you don't get an answer, you don't get an answer, right? Yeah. But I told him, I said, look, for me, when I was in college, for I was always extroverted, but in college, when I when we went to USC, it was an opportunity to like meet people from around the world, around the states, around just different cultures, and you kind of get to you have to open up, or else you're kind of going to be the person that's left out. And you just always have to say, yeah, I'm down to talk to you for like 30 minutes. I'd love to learn about, cause that's how you yeah. learn those experiences or you're like, Oh, that's an interesting career choice. Like I had never even considered that. Right. right. Or like also, talking to a liberal arts college student and being like, Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Right. right? Like yeah. kind of going outside of your comfort zone at times, even later in your career, you just never know where that next opportunity is going to come from. I feel like networking is so different than like actually nurturing a, like a, like an actual relationship and friendship with somebody yeah. because I feel like networking is more like that initial Hey, like, nice to meet you. What do you do? This is what I do. Exchange business cards mm -hmm. and then never talk to each other again. <laughs> yes. And people think like they're building, you know, connections, but right. they're not really building anything at that point. Correct. It's more like, how do you have a genuine, you know, and, and you're not going to get along with everybody and not everyone sure. is going to be something, you know, that perhaps that you could provide value in their life in mm -hmm. some way. And that's fine too. But yeah. if you do happen to come across someone that there's some synergy with, I mean, actually, like, try to develop that relationship. Keep in touch. Follow up. Like, yeah. make sure that you're spending time with them. And no matter stuff. how you need to remind yourself, like, set reminders in your calendar. Yep. It can be four times a year or every other year, whatever it is. But the point that you brought up of, like, how can it also kind of work both ways? I think a lot of people kind of see networking, especially, you know, in the beginning, I think it can be kind of lopsided or imbalanced. And so you kind of always look right. to that one person to be like, Hey, do you know anyone or whatever it is? But I think it's always important to see if there are ways that you can help right. that person. Even if you're right. like, if you've just graduated from college and you feel like you don't have anything to offer, you might, you, you, might, you yeah. know? And so just to always kind of yeah. at least make and it And it's not even that, that you might, you probably do, you know, like a lot of like younger folks, I mean, we're still kind of, we're like a confused age at this point, but like, <laughs> you know, they ask, Hey, you know, like, what am I going to provide somebody who's like a 55 year old, like investor? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, I'll tell you what you're going to provide them, right? They don't know on social media. They don't know, understand social media. Right? They don't understand some of the new technologies. They have money. They have like know-how and they'll teach you that. But you might be able to provide them access to a certain group of people or like yeah. a certain industry that you really know well. Or just and like, energy. Don't, right. Like, don't <laughs> downplay that. Energy, yeah. yeah, don't downplay that. Right. It's like a lot of people I think don't value themselves because they just don't know. And I think that comes with like, you know, we talk about it every single podcast. It's like just being exposed to different things and understanding like what value actually is. Like, yeah. I mean, you could look at this podcast and be like, what value does that carry? Well, it's like, okay, if we sit back, there's like been 200 plus founders that we've had on this podcast that are all incredible people that's a lot of value and I don't even know what that value is, right? But we can figure it out. Well, and everyone can take what they will from it. Totally. You know, someone might totally. listen to an episode and find nothing and then yeah. the same episode, someone has taken 20 gems that right. they then like, you exactly. know, yeah. add to their own. Totally. We get that all the time and we're yeah. like super confused. Like, yeah, wait, why, what like, happened here? That didn't really go well. Like, it wasn't that <laughs> right. great. And then yeah. you'll just hear like, dude, like we love that story. Like, wow, how, like resonated really we're like The joys how? of social media, right? Yeah, you're like, how'd that happen, right? <laughs> uh -huh. uh, back to Condé Nast, uh, how long were you there and what did you even get out of it? I was there for about two years. And if I'm being fully honest, I was a pretty <laughs> mediocre assistant. Like, tr 
truly. I mean, I went to college and I was like, I'm faxing things. I'm creating media kits. I'm writing simple emails, answering phones. Um, But what I did get from it was um, I had three bosses that I kind of um, reported into. Mm -hmm. And I learned, I would say the most important thing was to be proactive because I was someone who was always worried about making mistakes. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So like my fear of failure runs deep. And so when I first started, I was always kind of like teetering around things, being like, hey, and I would go into her office, like always timid. And hey, um, I just wanted to say like, you know, I'm I'm working on this for you. And is this right? Or I, I just wanted to, I just want to make sure if this was the way you were thinking. And um, she had, I, I think, just such an impressive, she wasn't that much older than me. And yet I got so many like just nuggets of wisdom from her. But she was basically like, you need to see what find out all of the information you can. You need to be way more proactive because all of the questions that I was asking her, I could have answered by myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the biggest takeaway that I got from it amongst like many other things like that you need to work harder or if you are over a job, leave before you get to the point where people are like, hey, are you over this? Because right. like that's not a good place to be. And yep. I, I certainly pushed that. Um But that was one of the most helpful things to this day that just like I have like a proactive like I will not stop. Like if if there is something that I need to figure out, like going back to the beginning of my blog, I started Cupcakes and Cashmere in 2008. And at the time, blogs were just kind of, you know, becoming a thing. I was not I had zero background in any of this. And I remember when I was creating my first layout, I wanted to make my header clickable on any page. And it was it just didn't happen. And I could have probably asked for help, but I was like, no, I can probably figure this out. And I was like a back-end like coder. And it took me three days. And this was Too when fast. I was, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think that a co- uh, like someone in IT could have done it in 30 minutes right. or three seconds, to be honest. Yeah. But it was one of those things that I felt such pride in right. the fact that I was like, no, I figured this out myself. And it's, I think, been like part of kind of the backbone of like my business. Well, it's all about those like little wins, right? Like it's yeah. more so the mindset than the actual thing. Right. If you did that one thing you're like well i can do the next one and then that's another little thing to somebody else mm-hmm. or to you too and but then that just keeps adding up and then you realize wow those little wins were just like now a massive thing they right? add up you gotta start somewhere everybody's yeah. gotta start somewhere nobody started off being mark zuckerberg like no. right like you gotta start doing something stupid something small yep. something useless and then out of nowhere sometimes it just you know gets i love that and just to kind of play devil's advocate i feel like there's also a time and place where it, it is good to like ask for help i also learned that because i'm very much yeah. like that like <laughs> yeah. I, I i try to do everything on myself but then i realize like oh wow if i if i, I like if i could have just asked this person for some help maybe it would have yes. saved me so much time i mean 100 <laughs> yeah. percent, and that's something that i learned like later in my career once i was way more established and kind of had built up more of like a sense of self and confidence that I then could ask for, for like, it was almost like that I was granting myself permission to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, you know, to, to people who are kind of more in the like early stages of their career, you don't need to get to that place to ask for help. Yeah. You know, it's just, because it could seem like you're inconveniencing somebody, but at the end of the day, it's almost like an, it's like they should, they might feel like honored that you're coming to them and, yeah. and asking them for help because there's some expert on something that, and, and the fact that they're, helping you i think could bring some fulfillment in Completely. you know in their own life so and and going back to like what we were talking about with um you know developing relationships like it is a it is an interesting way to collaborate or you know work together on right. something so something to yeah. About, yeah speaking of the blog uh you said 2008 so it was not too long after you left the job mm-hmm. what 
what was it? I mean, what did what did you even think or why did it start? I was really bored at my job. <laughs> I had moved from magazine sales to online sales and I was managing advertising campaigns mm. at AOL. Amazing. And so fun. it was certainly yeah, I was managing like boot barn like camp ad campaigns. It was it was a thrill and it just I was not But talk about knowing the audience. I mean like it's a very specific target audience. It is, I mean it leans a little more it leans pretty western yeah. and um It's like Trump's demographic. Like I think Trump used it as like his like custom audience on Facebook like boot barn. I'm pretty followers. sure they're one in the same. <laughs> yeah. So um I was just really bored. I didn't feel like I was being challenged in the slightest and I would kind of finish everything I needed to get done by like mid-morning and I was like cool now what and it was actually my husband who started a blog with a friend I think they wrote a total of like six blog posts and you guys are married at the time no I actually met him when I was at AOL he was a client okay um I did get the okay um from my boss to (laughs) to then like take that relationship to the next step but um I was taken off his um campaigns but it was um it was one of those things that uh, he started his own blog about scotch. He's like mm. a scotch connoisseur. Oh, wow. We got to talk. We got to talk scotch. <laughs> yes, he, scotch I'm too. sure he would absolutely love that. But I think he soon found that he created a like a little bit too niche of a subject, <laughs> and um, so it like petered out pretty quickly. And I was like, gosh, like what if I were to write about things that I'm excited about? Just like yeah. you know, and at the time a lifestyle blog was not really a thing. Right. It was like which choose a lane. Are you fashion? Are you food? Are you beauty? And I, I didn't want to. Well, I, I had also seen how quickly he had petered out based on how narrow, uh, you know, a focus he had. <laughs> so I wanted to then set myself up for success to write about things that I loved and wouldn't get tired of. So that's kind of where Cupcakes and Cashmere started. I spent about a week coming up with the name, even though I had no, I mean, at that time, besides, I would say like, I don't know, Perez Hilton or like TMZ, it's like there weren't professional bloggers. So it really came from like a truly like just mm-hmm. creative inspired. Was it like Blogspot like, or Tumblr or I, oh gosh, something else? It started on Blogspot for sure. Okay. And then, uh, then we like moved from there. But yeah, it was like, or WordPress, WordPress one of, one of yeah. the two. I think we started, I, I started on, on Blogspot and then went to WordPress. Mm. But, um, but yeah, it was just one of those things that I even there were hints that I, it could be something bigger down the line, even though again, at the time, like I had no trajectory, I had no hopes of anything other than creating an idea of what I could work towards of like, okay, during the week, I'm going to write one blog post a day. And that was it. That was like, those were my goals. But even in coming up with the name cupcakes and cashmere, I wanted it to be alliterative and speak to the things that I was going to be writing about, namely fashion and food. were people interacting with your posts at the time? Like, how did people find out about it? Oh my it? gosh, not at, at first. I mean, it was like my parents and <laughs> my now husband, please. Like, that was it. At, you know, I felt like I was bribing my friends to like come, I mean, let alone get like a comment. No, it was, um, I, I would also then spend, I think roughly an hour a day. I'd read some book on SEO uh, <laughs> that I then would spend an hour each day commenting on other blogs. Mm. And then I would do things like, hey, I'll put your blog on my sidebar if you put, you know, and like if we like PC do that exchange, I mean, truly, that literally was what we did back in the day. It was like the Wild West. No yeah. one knew what we were doing. And um, over time, it, it got it like got traction and people started reading it and people started coming and commenting. And it really um, it really just kind of grew from there. But it was not overnight again, like going back yeah. to the, like the making friends and, and feeling like you can just, you know, acclimate into a city immediately. Mm-hmm. 
it took a while. Yeah. You said something before you started talking about this, which was that when you saw your husband's blog about the scotch and how narrow it was, you wanted to make yours more successful. But at the time, how did you define that success? Did you know that there was going to be another step or you just want to be a successful blog? Yeah. And when I say like even saying success to me, it was more of just like, I wanted to still be able to write about things. I didn't want to get tired of it or grow bored. Like run out of content. Yeah. I didn't want to run out of content like two weeks in being like, cool. I am still, I like, you know, I'm only talking about like knee high socks or something like, here we go. Like, so I, I really tried to set myself up just so that it would be something that I could write about for a long time. Um, and you know, but, but no success. I never even thought I could make money from it, like turn it into anything else, uh, you know? So that was truly just to not become too bored. And and just, what was like, I mean, was there like a challenge early on in terms of actually coming up with the content? Like, was it, were you like naturally, are you naturally a good writer? Like coming up with like curation, like all that stuff. Like, was that something that you had to kind of overcome or did it come naturally to you? It came pretty naturally in the beginning. And it was just such a high to be doing anything that just felt like it was a challenge and that I was excited about. And, you know, I would say I found my voice, I would say relatively quickly. And part of the reason that I started the blog was because I was always that go-to person that people came to, whether it was at my job or my friends that if there was, they were looking to go to a cool new restaurant on a Friday night or like, Hey, I want to get like a little sweater for something like where have you seen anything good lately? I was kind of that go-to girl. And so I decided to kind of parlay that into something that like, I saw it more for like an advice place almost where I'm like, Hey, this is a great sweater that you should get. Or I really like this. It wasn't very personal in the beginning. And I did that intentionally at first just to almost like create a little bit of distance. But over time. Personal to you. Personal to me. But over time, I would like do little hints of things and people really responded well to that. And I really enjoyed it. Mm. I loved kind of sharing some of my actual personal anecdotes or how I was feeling or what I was doing. So it kind of then began to, to morph a bit over time. And this was like, so 2008, 2009, this was like still kind of MySpace was kind of like <laughs> dying out and Facebook was coming in. Mm-hmm. And then well, obviously, I just like yeah, and then 2011-ish, uh, you had Instagram and then a couple of years later, Snap and all these different social platforms. Twitter was, you know, 08, 09 was like mm-hmm. really taken off. Did you start leveraging social media at that like that early on and and how did that go in terms of getting your audience there? Yeah. I have never been a quick adapter to things, especially like new forms of social media, so really again grateful for my husband cuz he's always been the one who's kind of like, "Hey, I know that you think that blogs are going to be the thing forever, but you know what we should also consider is doing things so that they're mobile friendly and incorporating video and taking advantage of some of these social media platforms." So, I am always slow to embrace change. But in the beginning, I used them in the sense where I would like copy and paste and be like new post on Twitter and new post on Facebook. And still to this day, one of the ways that I've kind of created boundaries for myself, one of many ways that I at least try to do um, is that um, I, I can only focus my attention in so many, so many places. So still to this day, it would probably be Instagram is still like my primary focus of like where I spend the majority of my time in terms of social media. I don't mean to sound mean or like an asshole, not to you, but just in general to the population. <laughs> sure. Uh, but it's very surprising to me, I guess, looking back that the same audience now, like just us as mm-hmm. human beings, was the same audience that was reading like blog posts. I mean, did our attention span go from like 
a little higher to non-existent. Like, yes. I mean, <laughs> like were people actually reading the posts? They were on mine. I mean, yeah. I, you know, you could dive into the analytics and I think it was one of the ways that I had almost like a leg up in the sense that mm. I worked in advertising. So I would take deep dives into my Google analytics and see right. how many visitors I had on any given day to right. see the content that they were interested in, how long they were spending on each um, on each post, like what they were clicking on, what they were buying, right. all of those things. So people did, they stayed and they will still stay um, just in a really different way. But it's funny. I mean, my friends and I joke about like, we'll send each other articles. No one's reading. And it. I'm like, did you actually read the article or did you just look at the headline? Yeah. Like, you know, and yeah. so I do feel as though our attention span, it, it worries me. I mean, as, as a mother to a six-year-old little girl, right. I'm just like, it's really important to, to right. you know, really take your time and slow down, especially just these days. It's just like all so ephemeral and you're always jumping from one thing to the next. I think it's really important. And and one of the reasons why I, ca- I guess we've still maintained the blog, and albeit in like a, a much less focused way, but just because I think there is still um, a lot of good in some of these like longer form totally. posts that can't. I, I agree. Know. And I think there's, it, it really depends on what, you, like what you're trying to communicate. Like sometimes yes. a, a photo can just do it justice, yep. but sometimes you need like a longer form explanation yeah. of something. And I think, video. I think as a creator, it just, um, the challenge is like, how do I get this message across in the least amount of words possible mm-hmm. that is engaging, but also like it, I, we have to do it justice and explain what right. this is, right? So. Yeah. So, and sometimes that'll be in stories. Sometimes that's going to be in a video or a blog post or whatever it is. But yeah, knowing, um, you know, being able to kind of curate and figure out what what makes the most sense on any given platform is kind of a <laughs> daily struggle. When you did switch over to social media, at that point, did you already have a big enough following where you were making money? Yes. Yeah, so I left AOL about a year and a half after... I started my blog. I was there for about two years. Um, and, um, I left when I was able to basically match my salary with ads on, on the site. So, so yeah, at that point I, it was also kind of simultaneously, I was starting mm-hmm. to grow Twitter and Facebook, you know, Instagram wasn't quite a thing. I don't think yet. Mm, um, not yet no. Yeah. And were they ads that you were like physically going out and getting, or was it like a Google AdSense type of integration? No, where- it w- I went out and got them because I understood how, how it was. So I understood like a CPM basis or a CPA, all those things. And so I then would approach brands and offer them a really, you know, I feel like favorable and mutually beneficial, um, you know, and, and a lot of them were just there all month and I would just work with like one brand and they had like the 728 by 90 and the 300 by 250. Um, and so I was able to then kind of use that knowledge that I had to then kind of, um, be able to just focus on creating content. Cause like at the time were there was like influencing a thing like was no like no, there, no there were no that, influencers right that was not a thing it was not a yeah. terminology and and it's funny because I feel like I I did so many speaking engagements at the time where I was like trying to share like the worth because I understood it pretty well and still people were like hey would love to work with you. We can pay you in some eyeshadow. And I was like, no, no, this is not how it's going to work. Like I know my value. And so in a lot of ways, I feel like I was not necessarily, I I was part of the crew that was kind of paving the way, but like a guinea pig in a lot of senses as well, where I look back and I'm like, gosh, they like really took advantage of us there. But, um, you know, finding your voice is a really important part of growing up and, and standing up for yourselves. And it wasn't always popular when I would push back, especially on these larger brands, um, to say like, no, I know my worth and, and I, you know, I need more than just eyeshadow. And, And on that note, something I'm curious about is, you know, as let's say you start developing like a platform and a voice, and start getting some interest from brands and they're paying you and all that stuff. 
I feel like a lot of times we see it often where it kind of starts becoming less like natural and less genuine when it, when you're like promoting something yeah. and the followers just kind of fall off and don't really engage anymore. How have you been able to maintain that like authenticity throughout it all when you have like brands that are willing to pay you, but maybe you want to feature certain brands that aren't paying or, you know, you know what I mean? Like how sure. do you maintain that balance? It's, it's an intricate balance. And, you know, I think that as long as you are working with brands um, that you believe in, that you love, that you would most likely buy on your own if you weren't, you know, working with them or getting paid, um, that that's the most important thing when it comes to partnering with these brands and, and for these like paid advertisements. But it's funny. It's like I remember the first like paid opportunity that I did. And like most of the people were like, this is awesome, especially because like we had this incredible videographer and we did these series. But there are also going to be those people who are like, you're a sellout. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. You know, and it's one of those things that you kind of have to know you can't please everyone. That's been like a hard lesson for me, but I think a really important one, both in business and in life, and that there are going to be people who are going to be along for the ride, understanding that it's a business. And in order to then provide them with all the content that they get, on the blog, on social media, like day in and day out, that in the same way that people watch TV, you either have to subscribe and and pay to not have commercials or you're going to have some commercials. So like to me, it's just part of it's part of it. And I think as long as you can still also have a lot of other moments in which you are not just promoting things and that you're connecting with people and still kind of going back to some of those core tenants to like what they fell in love with. And that's, you know, that's all you can do. If you really think about it though, like, like from a macro level, um, you know, what are now called influencers are, let's take the fashion space, for example, right. Which, Which obviously, you know, you're involved with, but Nordstrom or Macy's is that quote-unquote influencer that is advertising and selling all these different brands in their physical stores Mm -hmm. so these folks that are doing it on their own like yourself and many others now are just i mean they're either the nordstrom the macy's the neiman marcus whatever they are but as an individual doing it on their own and curating all these brands that at the end of the day they're trying to sell Nordstrom's Mm -hmm. in the business of business like yes you love nordstrom yes you love emily but at the end of the day like both of them need to survive and they need to make money so it's like, why is it, I don't understand why people think it's a negative when you're selling something that you maybe wouldn't buy on your own. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, how do, how do people overcome that? Or do you think people will eventually overcome that? Or have they already overcome it? You know, I think that y- you either get on board or, y- or yeah. you get off. And I think, you know, if you are looking for... Um, to follow people who are not ever promoting things, um, then most likely it's not a business and, yeah. and, and you know, they will have a much smaller following, which does not equate to quality, of course. Like, you know, uh, you know, sometimes it does. Um, there is a correlation, certainly, but like it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, any someone with like 3000 followers like isn't worth, you know, it, it, it to me, it's. Oftentimes, if you get someone in the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, then it is most likely something that they are doing as a business and yeah. in order to maintain a business. I think people under, have a certainly a better understanding of it now, mm-hmm. but you're always going to get pushback. And and so it's for me, the way that I see it is that 
I might lose people throughout the process who are like, I miss Emily, like, from 2008. I'm like, you mean the 24-year-old? Like, Also, I you mean the one that, like, if had I not made money doing this, could I still do Correct. this and support yeah. myself? <laughs> yeah, so I feel like, you know, and it's hard and it's complicated and it's nuanced, yeah. but um, I'm 38 years old and I'm now married and I'm a mother and a business owner and I have 10 people working for my company. And so I think that there's oftentimes a lack of understanding of, like, how certain businesses are run in those in those cases. And so I don't, you know, it's not my job to then convince people to stay if they are turned off by advertisements. I totally get it. And maybe it's yeah. not for them, but there will always be other people who see, I think, the value in in following. Was there like a breakout moment like when you knew or it was just very apparent to you at that point that this could be something like that you do forever? Yes. It was when I did a collaboration with Coach and designed a bag with them. And this was, I think, 2009 and then kind of went into 2010. Um, and I remember printing out the contract in the mailroom at <laughs> AOL, terrified, like completely just like convulsing, shaking. I was so worried. And because people knew that I had a blog, but I don't think they had any clue that I was like starting to monetize it and that I was, it was my main, once I started, it was really, I think it was my husband who, again, was, he was a director of media at an advertising agency and was like, look, and it was probably a year in. And he was, he was saying, if you got to probably like a million page views a month, you could, you could make this happen. And so I don't remember That's exactly. a lot of views. It was a lot of views. And <laughs> I remember thinking it was a, it was a big enough goal, but something that I felt was attainable. So at that point I was just like head down again, still like didn't think anything of it beyond just writing the blog or that kind of thing. But that's kind of what I used as my kind of like inspiration, what I was like moving towards. And, um, but I remember when, yep. um, when I did print out that contract, just being like, Oh, and then the bag, I think it was almost $500 and it was a light pink bag. I have a burning question. Please. How did you convince coach to have design a bag? I didn't convince them of anything. They came to me. They approached almost you. all of my opportunities and this perhaps highlights a lack of uh, go get in myself yeah. or something. But if I'm looking back at the big opportunities in my life um, or through the career, my career, coach came to me. My literary agent, who I wrote two books with, um, he was at CAA, and I worked with Abrams. They came to me. I did a collaboration with Club Monaco, and I had a capsule collection, my clothing collection. Like, all of those things kind of fell onto my lap. So yeah. I didn't seek them out. They they came to me. The right. only reason I'm asking, because th th that, that specific, like, one was, like, w so early on. Like, it was, like, one year, I think, or into the blog, right? Yeah. And so, like, had... How did they even, how, I mean, I don't know if you ever asked, but like, how did they even find out about you? Like, why did they think that, why did they want to approach you versus maybe some like designer who's, you know, been in the game for a long time and, you know, just curious. Yeah. So, um, Raina Pinchansky, who now runs DBA, which is, um, you know, a talent agency that I have been with for years. She was with coach and she was, I would say pretty much the pioneer and the one who really saw the value in influencers way before anyone else. I mean, at the time, again, people saw it as this like really flippant, cute little thing. And she saw that she saw the sales, that sales numbers that people were driving. She saw the audience. She saw all of those things that other people just kind of um, just, I think, brushed off. And so um, she approached four and, and kind of led this whole thing of approaching four different influencers 
And um, it was a massive success. And I think the turning point for how people started to see in- influencers. Yeah, I love that. I love that story because we had Ronnie Fike from Kith on the show um, not too long ago. And, mm-hmm. and similar thing with him, like he very, very early on in his career, like he designed a shoe with Asics. And it's like, I think people think that you need to be this like super crazy, like, you know, experienced designer to be able to do these like awesome things. But mm-hmm. you just have to have the conviction like you you did, but also really like, provide that value and and sometimes they just come knocking on your door and you you can never like ever plan that. No, a hundred percent. And I think that though those moments have been some that I have felt like the, um, just, you know, the imposter syndrome where I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, this is so ridiculous. But like, but then those are the things that can really launch a career. And, you know, what I will also say to that is that it's not just about how big you are, how many followers you have. It's it's the quality in terms of right. like, are they people who are shopping? Like, are, you know, and we yeah. even looking at our audience, like we have a very loyal following and they like to shop, mm. you know, they're, they're similar to me. And so, you know, you could have, find someone else who has, you know, millions of followers, but they like might not translate in an opportunity where this guy with like doing ASICs, like he was the right, even if he didn't seem as big or, right. you know, like, but he was able to then, you know, yeah. make it work. So. Well, what this reminds me of is kind of the f- popular phrase, like build it and they will come, right? You built this audience like naturally, organically by writing about stuff that you enjoyed Mm -hmm. the readers came and then you know the businesses followed after that and so i think the lesson that is learned from this for me at least is a lot of times over people overthink well i have this business idea i have this product idea or you know service idea that i want to do but who's gonna who's gonna buy it or who's gonna use it it's like sometimes that overthinking just kills an idea and you don't even know who wants that. You don't yeah. know who needs it, right? Like there is some aspect of like, you know, timing sure and like intelligence. Yeah. The other thing is just like you got to put it out there and you'll probably pretty instantly know whether or not it's working or not, right? Sure, don't give up instantly, but you'll know if there's some sort of interest, like whether it's 10 people that are super believers, mm-hmm. evangelists, and they go out and become, you know, your influencers out there and can help you sell stuff. But it's like sometimes it is build it and they will come, you know. Other times, sure, you know, you got to put some thought into it. Like, should I build like an oil well for the water, like for the beach? Like, I think there was like a Shark Tank like pitch one time. Like, did you just come <laughs> some up guy, with that? no, some guy built like an oil oil yeah. well and like was like, you know, I'm gonna put it in the ocean and dig gold up or something. It was a gold well, you know, stupid, Basically right? But like Shark Tank. other things, it's like you know, if you just know that there's certain people like you that can do it and that need it, yeah, just put just try. I mean, like, what's you have nothing to lose but time and energy, right? it's like, for me, like, that's the lesson I learned from, like, that story of, or just your inception. But, you know, I so know you said you, you kind of fully took the leap and left yeah. AOL, like, when you sort of matched your salary. But yeah. were you, like, afraid at all? Like, is this sustainable? Is this not going to last? Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I was terrified. And the timing worked out well because they were offering voluntary layoffs at the time. So I would have, <laughs> like, a three-month, like, little cushion nice. of, like, and I was like, all right, in three months, if this thing goes to shit and, like, nothing comes of it got it. Like I will go find another job. Yeah. And, um, almost immediately. And I was really scared to take that leap. It was one of the scariest times of my life. Like I didn't sleep for weeks. I was just going back and forth and I waited until the very last possible day that you could like click on that submit button. And the minute I did it, I knew just with every fiber of my being that I made the right choice. And so, um, I like some of the advice that I have been given is, is to just like, you always have to bet on yourself. 
Yeah. And it sounds pretty basic, but like I, you know, I have gone through times that have certainly been scarier than others of being like, oh my gosh, like how are we going to pivot here? Like even when the pandemic hit, like we had like a clothing line and shoes and all of these things. And even with our, our shop, which is now like one of the biggest parts of our business. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were like, got it. We're going to pivot. We're a small company and people are not leaving their homes right now. So like, how can we bring comfort there? And so we went basically and all into like loungewear, Mm -hmm. candles, jewelry, so that you could look kind of cute on your Zoom calls. And like that has now actually like maintained and and the core part of our business. So, you know, it's just always being willing to to pivot and, you know, just bet on yourself. Emily, when did it just go from you to deciding, you know, and I assume this was later on, but I need other people to mm-hmm. help me build this to something beyond just Emily. Yeah, I think it was probably 2012. It was Tom. pretty soon after my husband and I got married um, and he left his job. And then I think probably within that year or so, um, we hired our first employee um, who kind of was um, a jack of all trades, if you will. She was like helping photograph things and helping do some web design and that sort of thing. And it's just kind of grown progressively since since then. I mean, when we first started, it was really just the blog. Um, and now we actually don't even have like a full-time blog writer anymore. Um, several of us contribute and we have outside contributors as well. But our main focus really is on our e-commerce. Mm. So one thing we, any anytime we've talked to like, for example, like someone who's like a creator or they've created a business out of their kind of unique skill or vision or something, we, we always like to ask like, how does, how does this sort of transcend you? Cause a lot of it is very dependent on you, right? Yeah. Like in the beginning, you're the curator, you're the creative. Mm-hmm. And then as, as soon as you start getting bigger, you just don't have the time to do it anymore. And so how do you, how have you been able to make that happen with adding more and more people to the team and trying to make this like something that kind of outlives you? Yeah. I mean, A, it's our biggest struggle just because I can certainly be a bottleneck in almost all aspects of our business. But B, one of the best pieces of advice that my dad gave me was to hire people smarter than you. And so I am surrounded by just an incredibly bright, creative, scrappy team. And so everything from, I used to do all the photography. We now have several people who are exceptionally better at photography than I am and, um, you know, are great at marketing and great at things that, you know, I, one of the things that for me that was almost a challenge was I basically went from being an assistant at both, you know, Teen Vogue and, and AOL to then being like a CEO founder. So I missed some like pretty integral steps in there of like climbing the corporate ladder, um, which is why, you know, hiring people that are just really bright and understand, you know, like that have great taste. So like our buyer and our planner for all of those things, um, you know, are just so integral to our company's success. Yeah. As I was saying before the podcast, we had asked folks to ask, you know, questions or what they would want to know about you. And regarding this issue, like not issue, but regarding this topic of teams, uh, one of them had said that it's at a point now that like she follows team members of yours. And yeah. I think Jessica Kane was someone they mentioned, uh, who I, I do not know who Jessica She's the best. Kane, you really yeah. should. Yeah. I should know <laughs> who she is. Uh, but I just wanted to be honest there. Um, how did that happen where your team members became, you know, influencers in their own right. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, some of them came with, you know, large followings even before arriving. Jess was one of them. But, you know, it's a platform that I have been really happy to kind of just hand over to people. um, And especially now 
not just beyond, you know, not just within our actual team, but to outside contributors as mm-hmm. well. And so that has just kind of gone on. But again, it, I think it speaks to how well we've hired because these women um, are just exceptional and they're smart and they're funny and they're creative. So it would then make sense that once people have been introduced to them, that they would want to follow them themselves. And throughout the last, I'm going to try to do my math right here, 12 years, right? Like you've obviously grown personally, professionally, like have a family, have a home. Like how did your content change during those, the last dozen years? I mean, you know, when I was 28, when I was 24, I mean, I was going to the flea market and like, you know, get it like all of my furniture was from the flea market or a forever 21 or that kind of thing. And, um, you know, the, I was just learning how to cook. Like I literally had no idea how to cook before, you know, really starting the blog and it kind of like prompted that. So, um, you know, going from that to then furnishing our first apartment that we moved in together to, um, you know, getting married and to buying a house and having a child and, you know, I have really, I think, in one of the sweetest compliments people pay me is that they're like, I feel like we've grown up together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the, those are pretty formative years as <laughs> yeah. like in adulthood. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that has been just like one of the, I don't know, just greatest honors really is to like share so much of my life with this community and this audience. But it has changed over the years. And there are going to be people, again, that are along for the ride and the changes and the progress and the transformation. And then there are going to be people that are like, where's five things? You used to do that in 2008 and you don't do that anymore. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. But like, you know, I just also, I it, again, it's one of those things that like as a perfectionist and people pleaser, that for, for far too long, there have been things that I've held on to mm-hmm. that haven't served me or the business. And, um, you know, and the other challenge has been, I used to do five blog posts a week and that was it. Now I basically have like a 24 seven, like newsreel of my life on stories and then also in feed and then also on the blog. And so with each edition of social media, there has just been extra pressure to like create more, create more, create more. And so I have had to create certain boundaries as well, both again, professionally and personally. But I want to be able to go out to dinner with my family and just be fully present, put my phone down and not capture all of it. I'm curious, you know, with, we talk about social media and like, it, it it's crazy, like where it's gotten in such a short amount of time. And there's so much, I don't want to call it noise because that sounds super negative, but there's just a lot going on, you know, like a lot of people and it's great like everyone has a voice everyone can share what's a good word for that noise noise okay (laughs) i guess it's a lot of noise Uh, but there's a lot going on and and uh i'm curious you know because back then you talk about like with blogging there weren't as many people so it's a little bit easier maybe to stand out and no discredit to you but it was just like it's such an important thing to note and and i think so now like for example if someone let's say you just have a taste in something or you just like have an eye for something or whatever do you do you think like naturally being able to stand out is enough or like what would you what would you have done if you were starting now is kind of oh, my question. Gosh. I mean to your point I do believe in timing and luck because I really just jumped in at a time where it was just like yeah. really starting but um you know it's I think the same core tenants apply now as they did back then it's just so much more saturated like mm. it's a really busy space and so but I still believe that there is always room for wonderful content and things that are unique and different. And, you know, like I kind of think like the cream rises to the top sort of thing. And that um, you might have to in the same way that I did like SEO stuff by like commenting. Like I'm sure there are new ways that people should be doing that, whether it's like on TikTok or, or that kind of thing. But 
you know, just again, to bet on yourself and kind of try to figure out like what the perspective is that you're bringing that is slightly unique or that's missing in, in, right. Cause to your point earlier about, um, you you know, someone, people saying like, Oh, I feel like I grew up with you. It's, uh, it's almost like who can build the strongest community online because you can create like viral content and it can you sure. know, do really well. It rises to the top, but then it could, ru- it could fall even faster because yeah. exactly. Cause it, there's no like substance to it. Mm-hmm. Something that I always think about with influencers and just folks that are spending a lot of time on social media and creating content is obviously there's a lot of positives that we've discussed, but I think it's also important for those that are listening to understand some of the challenges and the perhaps cons and negatives, you know, with the space. And one of the things that I think about is just, like mental health, right? Whether it's anxiety, oh, yeah. depression, uh, you know, just feeling like you're not enough, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things, and I thought about this recently with the whole Instagram, Facebook shutdown, which, by the way, I thought I thought was great for a little bit because it gave Loved me like, a little it. bit yeah. of you know time I got away. So much done. Yeah, I'm gonna run on. I'm gonna run for California governor on the premise that all social media companies need to shut down for what was it once a week, four hours a day. Great, just, you know, just do some work, blackout. get some totally. blackout, more productive, right? Yeah. So, you know, I'm curious with you. What are some of the challenges that you do deal with or that you have dealt with uh, being on social media or having a, a big core part of your business being based on this platform or several of these platforms? Yeah. I mean, I know we don't have a ton of time, but like that, yeah, that quick is a and whole, dirty. Yeah. I mean, I would say um, A is like creating boundaries because my life, all of it can be content what I'm having for breakfast, what I'm wearing, how I do my makeup, like what my daughter is drawing, like anything and everything. And sometimes even the messier, the better, just because like people, it's a way to feel connected with people. And in the beginning, when I first started, like it was all everything in 2008 was curated and glossy. People don't want that. They want to see the real you. They want to feel like they're connecting. But so, um, you know, creating those boundaries and setting limits and having things that are strictly just for myself or my family, just so that I'm not constantly just, um, on, on my phone. And then I would also say, you know, just like unsolicited feedback. Some of it is advice. I mean, I remember when I became a mother, like that was, (laughs) I had never seen anything like that. And, um, you know, to people saying like, I hate what you're wearing or I don't like this, like the unsolicited feedback can, again, what you said, the the word noise. Mm. Um, but I think that maintaining a perspective of, you know, being able to hear criticism when it is, when is worthy and, and to say, okay, got it. Let me think about that a bit. Um, make changes if need be, but then also to to realize that when you're getting negative feedback that isn't necessarily based on reality and it's just someone's opinion or they're trying to tear you down, just that this is, you know, this is all through screens. And if you put your phone down, mm-hmm. if you shut your computer, that like, that's not your real life. Mm-hmm. And so I think kind of maintaining that perspective has been helpful that I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to go downstairs and have a glass yeah. of wine with my husband or go out to dinner with friends. I'm like, that's right. what actually matters. So, um, so yeah. But, and then I think just like the whole imposter syndrome, again, it's like even people who feel, or at least appear to see that they have it all figured out, don't, you know? And I think you don't recognize that because it's not often talked about on on social media and whatnot, but just for anyone listening, and perhaps this will be a good reminder even to my future self that it's like, no one has everything figured out and we're all just kind of like flailing as we go. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Maybe, maybe no one has anything figured out. It's like, yeah, it's everyone is kind of just, because I feel like the world is changing so, so much and, you know, there's just so much going on now that you you could have never even fathomed like oh, 10 years yeah. ago. 
Um, so, yeah. One of the main things that a lot of folks are asking us to ask you and yes. something that was also on our minds was, you know, why sell other products versus make your own? Kind of like the mindset behind that, like both from a personal point of view and also just a business strategy. Why that decision? On our, for like our e-commerce? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, there are several reasons. Number one, we carry products in our shop that we absolutely love and that I stand by that I have like handpicked and I can't make all of them, right. you know? And so it makes sense to then find those brands and those other categories right. and fill, um, you know, our shop with all of the things that I love the most. The other thing is we took the 15% pledge to have 15% of our counter space dedicated to black owned brands. That means a lot to me. Um, and you know, I, I think it's it's kind of nice not to just then when I'm selling products to be like, hey, I made this. You should buy it. Hey, I made this. Like to say like, hey, this is a brand I don't know if you know about, but I love their stuff. Right. And we're going to sell that as well. So I think it creates like, again, that kind of sort of authentic, um, op- you know, uh, place where people can can shop for everything that I right. love, that it's not just all made by me. Right. Mm-hmm. What do you see the next, you know, five years of, you know, your company looking like? We're going to continue to expand into the direct-to-consumer products. So similar to what we did with our jewelry, that's been an enormous success and something I am just so passionate about and excited by. And um, and so continuing to explore other products that still feel in line kind of with the Cupcakes and Cashmere brand and things that I'm just, you know, that I love naturally mm-hmm. that we would want to kind of create our own. You talked about the name early on, but like, was there, is there like a story behind that? Or you, how did you even come up with that? It took about a week, but I literally was like, I wanted to have two things that encapsulated what I was going to primarily be writing about. Like fashion and food were kind of the main yeah. things. I wanted it to be alliterative so that people kind of remembered it. Um, and I wanted it to stand out so that I was like, oh, I feel like any girl who hears the words cupcakes and cashmere, she'll be like, sign me up. I love both. Yeah, it's, it's a lovely name. It's great. Awesome time, yeah. All done? I'm good, yeah, yeah. I'm oh, good. all right, well. Emily, this has been really <laughs> I, like, I have a lot of questions, but I know we're... Yeah. I, 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 I know, I'm keep it, so, No, no, it's I'm not so your fault. I'm, like, I'm, I'm looking there, too. I'm like, we got to keep it under 60 minutes. Well, it's been really fun. I mean, uh, just hearing your story is incredible, but, like, I love kind of all these anecdotes and things that you share, like wisdom that you share, because I think it's super relevant to anyone who's, who's trying to build something out of pretty much nothing, right? Like, it's almost like you can envision something or have an idea and to your point on betting on yourself like that's the first step if you just believe in yourself then there's no reason why you shouldn't pursue whatever idea you have because there's plenty of people out there that don't believe in themselves and that's unfortunate and i hope people can like get to that point but i think like people think that there should be anything more than that and i think the first step is you believe in yourself like you have conviction why not right yeah 100 so thank you so much and we can't wait to see what happens next with you and the business and uh, yeah, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you.